Welcome, and thank you for downloading Movement Christian Church's sermon podcast. Here at Movement, we are passionate about God's Word and helping each other move closer to God. Thank you for choosing to grow with us today. And now, here's our lead minister, Bobby Wallace. Um, my wife, uh, very, very, I don't know how she does it, but homeschools our kids. She's done that for most of our kids' uh, school career, and uh, she gives the kids a checklist of things they need to do, especially the older ones, you know, for them to kind of self-pace and stay on guard, and she goes back and checks. Well, she was checking behind one of our kids this week on his checklist, and she noticed that everything was checked off, and at first, I'm sure she was like, oh, that's awesome. You know, he got all of his work done, but then she looked, and she noticed that Spanish was checked off, and she was was like, I don't really think he did his Spanish. And um, so she asked him and she said, did you do your Spanish? And he said, no, he didn't lie. He wasn't you know, trying to be deceptive, but he said, no, I didn't do my Spanish. She said, well, why is it checked off? He said, I didn't like seeing the box unchecked. <laughs> I kid you not. <laughs> I kid you not. Um, you know, you got to appreciate the honesty, right? But he didn't like seeing the box unchecked. And I think sometimes for a lot of us, that's kind of the way sharing our faith is. You know what I'm saying? I think as believers, you know, we can sort of get a, a checkbox mentality and we think, okay, you know, um, love God. Yeah, I like that one. That one's fun. Um, love people. Eh. <laughs> Some people are people, you know, and I, but you know, but like, I'm going to try, I'm going to try to do it. Um, read my Bible. I'm going to try to do that. Yeah. I'll, I'll check that one off. Um, you know, maybe give, uh, maybe I'll check that one off. Maybe I'll serve at church, you know, I'll do something like that. But then when it gets to sharing your faith, telling people about Jesus, a lot of us are like, I'll let somebody else take that one. I'm just going to check that box and just, because I don't like seeing boxes unchecked. It, can you relate to that? Y'all tell the truth and let Jesus love you. Come on. I, I don't know. It might, maybe it's easy for you, but I struggle with it sometimes because I don't, you know, I think about all the different things about, oh, they don't want to hear or I don't want to be intrusive. I don't want to be one of those people that's like, you know, Bible thumper type people, you know, the people at the state fair that are up there shouting and yelling, you're going to hell and I'm happy about it. It's what, you know, kind of gives that vibe. Y'all never seen them people? It's like, they, they seem excited people are going to hell. That's, that's the wrong, wrong attitude. But you know, you get worried and you're like, so I don't want to share my faith. Or maybe you think, I don't know the answers. I don't know what to say. I'm not all that good at it myself. But that's the good news is that it's all by grace anyway, right? Nobody's good enough. And maybe, maybe we're like, well, I want to share my faith. But I like to maybe keep it to safe people. You know, safe people. And I say safe people because safe people can be anything to anyone. What's safe to you might not be safe to me and vice versa. But maybe you're like, okay, I want to share my faith, but I want it to be with safe people. Maybe safe people for you is people in your own household. You know they're not a Christian and you're like, okay, I want them to know the gospel and obey Jesus and become a Christian so I'll share with them. But I, I can't go across the backyard to my neighbor because I just don't know what they're going to say. You know, it's not like as in they're dangerous, but it's not safe for you in your mind and in your heart to go share the truth. But what did Jesus say? What did Jesus say? One of his last things he said before leaving earth and going up into heaven. He said, go into part of the world. Nope. He said, go into the easy parts of the world. Go into the parts of the world that look like you. 
that think like you, that vote like you, that talk like you, that act like you. No, he said, go into all, all the world. All the world. Go into all the world. And I don't know about you guys. I am a linguist. I am a linguist. That means somebody that specializes in language. And guess what? I'm going to teach you. I'm going to drop some knowledge on y'all today. All. Spell all. A-L-L. All right. All means all. (laughs) That's deep stuff, right? But I know what, when I'm in that mode, and I'm in that mindset of fear, all doesn't mean all to me a lot of times. But I'll tell you what, let's think about it this way. All means all. Jesus says, go into all the world, and we're like, eh, I'm going to go into my little all. But let me ask you this. When it comes time for payday, and you go to look at your paycheck, whether it be in the bank or a paper check, I don't know if anybody gets paper check anymore. But when you get your paycheck, do you want some of it or... All. You don't want nobody messing with A-L-L on that one, right? Because you already get enough T-A-X taken out of it, right? Taxes. So the all that you get is not really all of it, but you definitely want all that's supposed to be coming to you. Well, Jesus says go into all the world. And you think about it, you can imagine if you can put yourself, if you can transport yourself into the mindset of the people who first heard the Great Commission, these very, very, very early believers. When Jesus says, as it talks about uh, in the Acts encounter in chapter 1, it's that version of it where it says, go into Jerusalem, Judea, and Nazaria. Nazaria. Now, some of y'all know what I'm doing here. Um, You know, I can imagine that as those early Jewish believers, those early Jewish believers heard what Jesus said, he said, go into Jerusalem. They're like, yeah. Go to Judea. Yeah. And then he said, go to Samaria. They're like, you said Nazaria? Like, is that just a weird way to pronounce Nazareth, Jesus? That's what you said, right? You did not say Samaria. I know absolutely. And if you don't know a lot about the Bible, that's okay. But let me give you a little quick history lesson. Jewish people didn't like Gentiles. They, you know, and, and for good reason, they were told that they were supposed to be separate from Gentiles. But Samaritans or people from Samaria held an extra special place of hatred in the minds and the hearts of Jews. And so when they would have heard for many of them, not all, but for many of them, when they heard go into Jerusalem, they're like, yeah, go into Judea. Yeah, that's like the greater region. Right. And then go into Samaria. They're like, "Eh." back up. Jesus, you misspoke there. You need to circle back and fix that. Right. You know, to use our common language. No, he said Samaria, they would have been some of them would have been disgusted They would have been afraid. They would have been, some of them, even angry. Because he's like, your mortal enemy, those people, they did not consider to even be completely human. Go to them. Maybe that's just the way you pronounce something different, huh, Jesus? You don't mean Samaria, do you? But for us, I don't think we would want to admit that maybe there's people like that for us. But we can still get stuck going, can't we? Because the same command that Jesus gave those people to go into all the world applies to you and I too. It applies to you and I too. But we can get stuck going, especially when it comes to people that we don't like. And I'm not going to stand up here and say that we all don't have somebody that we don't like. 
There's no need to lie, right? There's people that we struggle liking. Even as Christians, you know, we, we know if you've been around the church long enough, you know the whole lingo. I love them, but I don't like them. <laughs> I mean, okay, y'all don't leave me alone make me feel, y'all judgy. Y'all are judgy. <laughs> I got people like that that I'm like, I love them, but I don't really like them, you know? But it, it, there's people like that for us, you know, no matter what it may be, and for everybody it's different. But maybe we'll invite an occasional friend to church. That's awesome. Do that. Don't give up doing that. Invite your friends. Or maybe, maybe you share our church social media posts. Or maybe, you know, you share our sermon podcast. And I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to pause right real quick. Y'all need to do that more. I'll just say that. Just a little, you know, that's not the end of it. That's not, oh, I'm good. I did my evangelism. But share that stuff so people see it. Uh, just, just a little commercial. Do you know that our sermon podcasts get listened to all over the world? Just in the past month or two, we've had people listen from Qatar. We've had people listen from New Zealand in the past, all different places in Europe, South America at times. It, it, it's an amazing thing. And so when you share it, it gets out there even more. That's, that's part of it, but that's not the end of it, is it? Not just sharing uh, a social thing. Um, we have these movement bumper stickers. Well, not a bumper sticker. It's a sticker like you can put on your window. And if you want one of those, let us know. We'll get one to you. But I always caution people when I give it to you. I say, okay, are you going to drive like a maniac if we put this on your car? If not, we're going we're gonna to have another local church sticker we're going to give you to put on your car. If you're going <laughs> to drive people off and be like, you know, that kind of stuff. Don't, you know, don't be driving crazy. My wife just gave me the look because I... But I drive in Raleigh. I've seen that hand signal many times for people. Um, I, I don't share it. I don't share it, but I've seen it. But I'm saying there's ways you can share your faith, but that's not the end of it. You're called to share your faith. But when it comes to sharing our faith with people that we don't get along with or even see eye to eye with, it can be daunting, can't it? You know, I just don't know if I can get the courage up to do it. As we heard Stephen allude to and Frank allude to over the past couple of weeks, and I've alluded to it earlier a few weeks ago, the church was finally motivated to go beyond Jerusalem and Judea, not by pure obedience and love, but by what? Persecution. That's what finally got the church moving past Jerusalem, past Judea, and into Samaria was they were persecuted so let me ask you this. What is keeping you from going into all the world? Not your neighbor, not the person behind you, but what is keeping you, each and every one of us, from going into all the world? Last week, Stephen talked about the stoning of Stephen, not himself, but different Stephen in the Bible, P.H. Stephen. And he shared from the beginning of Acts chapter 8, verse 1. That's where we're going to pick up today. Acts chapter 8, verse 1. The scripture will be on the screen, but you can follow along in your Bible if you would like. Acts chapter 8, verse 1. And it says this. And Saul approved of his execution. The execution of Stephen. Saul's really important. We're going to get into him a little bit more if you don't know about him. Later on, he becomes more commonly called Paul, and he becomes the greatest evangelist to what we would maybe say the Western world, the Gentile world that there is, wrote most of the New Testament. But there, at this point, he's an enemy of the cross, enemy of the church, and he's giving a big cheer to Stephen being killed for sharing the gospel. And here's what it says next. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. They stayed behind. 
Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. But Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. So he was excited about people dying because they loved Jesus. And then if they weren't going to be killed, he was going to make sure they suffered in prison, maybe for the rest of their lives. And so he was going around dragging people from their homes. And look at verse 4. Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Now that's a, a key factor that I want us to really focus on right there. Is It could easily have resulted in fear. Now I'm sure they were afraid. And that's what I want us to understand. When we follow Jesus, fear will not disappear. Just like we hopefully understand that courage is not the absence of fear, but it's what? It's moving forward in the face of fear. fear. Thank you, thank you, thank you. It's not the absence of it. And so they could have said, okay, I'm afraid. I'm going to go hide and go into hiding. But no, they were scattered because they were afraid. But as they went, what did they continue to do? Tell people, spread the gospel. And so that's what they went and did. So here's what I want us to think about. Can I share what might be, I believe, a game changer for you? You know, are you ready for this? Are you sure? I'm not sure. Are you ready for this? This is big. Sometimes the things that we think of as blessings aren't blessings. That might not be profound to you, but I believe that's what causes a lot of heartache in our world today. It's because a lot of times what we think of as blessings aren't really blessings. And so we're saying like, God bless me, God bless me, God bless me. And then when we don't get what we think of as, as blessings, we're like, why God? Why don't you bless me? But if he would speak to us audibly, I believe he would say, I did. What they have is not a blessing. How many people have you seen on those TV shows when it talks about someone wins the lottery? How many of them, when they come back to them three, five, ten years later, are just like, I'm living the best life ever because I won the lottery? <laughs> no, most of them are miserable. Most of them are bankrupt, and their family hates them, or they hate their family because their family stole their money. And many times what we think of as a blessing is not always a blessing. We look on social media, we look on Instagram, and we compare ourselves to the way people look and the things people have and the places people go. And we say, if I don't have that, that means I'm not blessed. And maybe, just maybe, God is saying, I am blessing you by making sure you don't get drowned by all that stuff. And I believe if we start to understand that, that will change our minds and the way that we, for lack of a better term, play the game. It's a game changer for us. Sometimes the things we think of as blessings aren't blessings. And even in the church, even in the church, we fall for it. We fall for the idea and the lies that wealth and stuff and, listen to this, safety are blessings. We believe it all the time. And sometimes they are. Sometimes a financial blessing is a blessing. You know, I've been the recipient of those. You've probably been the recipient of those. You know, sometimes a protection from God is a blessing, but it's not always. It's not always. The safest place is not always the best place when you're following Jesus. Sometimes they are blessings, but oftentimes they're not. And here's the problem. We can get so comfortable here on earth that we, have a, we forget we have a home in heaven. 
And if things are so good right here and so comfortable, we've got just as enough money that we need and even more, and we've got all the things that we want, and our kids have got perfect grades, and they're doing the best in sports, and da-da-da-da, you fill in the blank what you dream about and what you think of as a blessing. And if we've got it all right here on earth, we forget that we've got a home in heaven that's better than anything this pile of trash ever offered us on this world. We forget that we're living for an eternity and preparing other people for eternity. And here's the truth. God will allow trials to come to you and come our way that will grow and shape us and shape eternity through us. And that's not fun. I am the first to admit that's not fun. But the the sooner that we learn that truth and learn this truth from Scripture, in James chapter 1, beginning in verse 2, it says this, Count it all joy, my brothers and sisters, when you meet trials of various kinds. You know, we read scripture and, you know, sometimes we're like, you know, uh, people love, um, you know, the pastor scripture from Jeremiah 29, 11, you know, I know the plans that you have for me to prosper me and not to harm me. And we're like, yes, amen, Lord. And then we get to James chapter one, verse two. And he says, you know, consider it joy when you have trials of many kinds of like, no, <laughs> it's what we'd like to do. We'd like to rip that page out of scripture. But he says, consider it pure joy. Pick back up there with me. Verse 3, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. And so if you never go through adversity, if God never allowed you to go through adversity, you would never, ever mature. That's what happens when we don't allow our children to go through adversity. They never mature, and they can be spoiled brats. You know, and as much as none of us, we don't like to go through adversity, it makes us stronger people. And for our faith, it's exactly that. Our faith only gets stronger when we are tested. And the sooner that we understand this truth and live it, the sooner we'll find joy and life this side of heaven. Here's what I want you to understand. The greatest blessings and are the things that move us closer to Jesus and his mission. That's the greatest blessings that you and I need to be praying for. And that's not easy because sometimes it might look like a trial. Sometimes it might look like a difficulty. But the greatest blessings are the things that move us closer to Jesus and his mission. And it says earlier what we said, so the church went preaching because of persecution. And I want us to look where it led Philip. One of those seven that we see from Acts chapter six. So I want you to listen. I want you to read closely. I want you to see if you catch how earth shattering this is. Look at verse five with me in Acts chapter eight. It says, Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. And the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip. When they heard him and they saw the signs that he did, for unclean spirits crying out with a loud voice came out of many who heard who had them, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed, so there was much joy in that city. Now, I already gave you kind of the answer, but what's the big shocker that was in that passage right there? What's the big shocker? He went and preached where? Samaria. And people came by the droves and came to Jesus. What do you think? If you could transport your mind and your mindset into the minds of those Jewish Christians that were already following Jesus, starting from Acts chapter 2 and on, 
What would you think if you heard the news that hundreds, maybe even thousands of Samaritans had come to Christ? You're like, wow. I never thought that they would even want to know about Jesus, right? I mean, I heard the story about when Jesus was doing his ministry and he talked to that Samaritan woman and she tried to get away from everything about the truth until he finally just, you know, laid it in her lap, so to speak. She didn't want to hear it. And maybe you think that all Samaritans don't want to hear the gospel. Then you hear that hundreds of them, maybe even thousands of them are coming to Jesus It's a mind-blowing thing once we understand that there are many people out there that want to hear the truth. If you would look at this map with me real quick. I don't know if you can see it. It's a little bit small. But the top yellow is the the region of Galilee. Then you've got the blue below it is Samaria. And then below that in the whatever you want to call that peach is Judea. Galilee and Judea were part of Israel and Judah, if, it, if you were. They were the, the Jews, and the middle blue section was the Samaritans. Now, oftentimes, up in the yellow part in the north, somebody might be coming from Nazareth and want to get to Jerusalem, which is there in the peach part in the south, and you know they want to go to temple, they want to do this or that, and they're going to go to Jerusalem. Many times, rather than taking the shortest route between uh, Galilee and Judea, they, would go, they would, didn't want to go through Samaria, so they would go across the Jordan River and go around Samaria. If they went on a straight shot, it was about a three-day walk. It was about a three-day walk. They would oftentimes make the journey seven days walking just to avoid Samaria, just to avoid it. That's just how much they hated the Samaritans. They're like, I don't even want to dirty my feet. You know, they would say it's unsafe, and it probably was because they were always fighting. And, you know, if, if a Samaritan came into Galilee, they'd probably get beat up. And if a Galilean went through Samaria, there was a good chance maybe they would get beat up. But they were avoiding it. They did not want to dirty their feet. So they would add four-plus days of not getting in a car, walking to make sure they avoided Samaria. That hatred was so real, people from traveling there would just avoid it. And I want you to get this. This is why I'm harping on this. I know I talked about it earlier, but I want you to bring it fresh back in your mind. Because God is a destroyer of comfort zones. You know that? If you want comfort zones, Christianity is not the best place to go looking. I'm just being honest. Jesus, one of the, play, the first comfort zones he will destroy is your enemies. He'll say, I want you to go to, guess who? Your enemies. And so he had them go spread the gospel in the people that they thought were their enemies, the Samaritans. If you don't want to uh, tell people about Jesus and you don't want to tell your enemies about Jesus, Christianity is going to be a tough road. A second place of comfort zones that he destroys is, is um, the idea of our unsafe places. You know, we don't want to go anywhere that's unsafe. And I don't just mean physically. I understand being afraid if you go through a place where it's, it's just crime-ridden and, you know, people are getting robbed and beaten and all sorts of stuff. But I'm not even just talking about that. I'm talking about the fact of things that just challenge your thinking and challenge what are your sensibilities or just your willingness to open up your mouth and speak. He will call you out of that comfort zone as well, out of your safe places, so that you'll go to unsafe places. But Philip went where Jesus told him to go, right? He goes to Samaria, he preaches the gospel, and even when it was people that he wasn't necessarily fond of, I I don't know personally if Philip felt that way, but there's a good chance he still went and spread the gospel in a place that may not have been safe. 
And here's what I want us to, to pause and focus on for a quick second, all right? Y'all with me? A lot of times we assume, we assume that we understand who knows and wants to know the gospel. We say, oh, they, they wouldn't be interested. And we'll spend so much time telling people that have heard the gospel hundreds of times and they don't want to hear it that we'll never go and talk to somebody who wants to hear it and just needs somebody to tell them. And we've got to understand that sometimes we spend a lot of energy on people who just aren't ready for the gospel yet and totally ignore people who are. And so Philip simply proclaimed Christ to them. Look at verse 9. But there was a man named Simon who had previously practiced magic in the city and amazed the people of Samaria, saying that he himself was somebody great. They all paid attention to him from the least to the greatest, saying, This man is the power of God that is called great. And they paid attention to him because for a long time he had amazed them with his magic. But when they believed Philip, as he preached the good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ... They were baptized, both men and women. Even Simon himself, the magician guy, even he believed. And after being baptized, he continued with Philip. And seeing signs and uh, great miracles performed, he was amazed. Now, we share that passage of Scripture with you because of this. Our fear over what to say can keep us from going into all the world many times. You know, it's not always just we don't like people. Sometimes it's like, I just don't know what to say. So he went and shared the gospel with these people. This magician guy, if I'd have looked at him, I would have said, he doesn't want to know the gospel. But when the gospel was preached, even he what? He believed and was baptized. And it was a crazy, crazy time of revival. But Philip shows us that it's pretty simple. You know, back in, in verse 12 again, it says this, but when they believed Philip as he preached good news about the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized both men and women. And so what I want you to understand is this. I think at its finest, at its most simple, there are four parts to share the gospel. Four parts to share the gospel. Good news. That's the first part. Good news. Ask yourself this. Is it good news to you? If the gospel is good news to you, the fact that Jesus died, was buried, and rose again to pay for your sin and my sin, if that's good news, chances are the people that you rub elbows with are going to start to think it's good news too. But you know what I believe? And I've been guilty of this. I've been guilty of this. Many times I forget that the gospel's good news. Or at least it doesn't come out in the way that I live my life, in the way that I express myself. And I'm like, oh yeah, have you ever heard about Jesus? Yeah, you should come to church with me on Sunday. <laughs> I mean, that's what you make it sound like. Of course, nobody's going to want to come. And so do we get excited about the gospel? And real quick, this is why I think that sometimes we, you know, it, partly it's out of fear that we don't get excited about the good news, but sometimes we get so far removed from the fact that we were once new to the gospel, once new to the good news, that we start to think that I'm pretty okay without Jesus. We would never say that. We would never vocalize that. We'd never verbalize that, maybe even our heads. But we start to think, yeah, Jesus is pretty lucky to have me. I quit all that sin and I used to do. I quit all of it, you know? I might be a prideful jerk, but I quit all of that sinning, you know? But we need to understand that we are in need of grace just as much today as we were 
5, 10, 15, 20 years ago, six months ago, whenever we came to Christ. And if we have good news, we will celebrate. We'll tell people that death, burial, and resurrection, that good news gospel. But the second part that we need is this, the kingdom of God, that you're saved not just to be saved from hell, but saved to be a part of the kingdom of God. And guess what? Heaven is going to be amazing, y'all. Heaven, that's right. Heaven's going to be amazing, but it starts right here. The kingdom of heaven is a, you're in the kingdom of heaven. Once you come up out of the watery grave of baptism, you are made new. Your spirit is sitting in the heavenly places, it says in Colossians chapter 3 with God. And so your spirit's already dwelling with God, and it's just waiting for your body to catch up. And so that's why Jesus said to pray that, you know, your kingdom may come on earth as it is in that's our job is we're not just saved from hell we're saved to the kingdom and so we need to tell people you can be a part of the kingdom of light and leave the kingdom of darkness and so invite them in to be a part of the kingdom but that means we've got a king and we are his people then the the third thing is this it needs to include jesus and i know that's a no-brainer but it needs to include his death his burial and his resurrection and then it needs to include the response It needs to include the response. Jesus died, was buried, and resurrected, and it has to include our death, burial, and resurrection as well. Our response to Jesus. And the scripture is overtly clear that our death, burial, and resurrection takes place at baptism. Romans chapter 6, I mean, it gets so completely crystal clear there in so many other places that our death, burial, and resurrection is when we enter into the kingdom of God. We die to our old self. We're buried. We're raised up to a new life. And as we said, our spirits are seated with him in heaven. We're just waiting for our bodies to catch up when that resurrection takes place. But unfortunately, a lot of modern believers stop short of sharing our response to the gospel that's, that's tragic. That's utterly tragic because can you imagine telling someone the good news but not how to participate in it? Jesus died for everybody. Woohoo! Peace. <laughs> but that's what we do a lot of times if we're not sharing what our response is. It's like going up to somebody and saying, oh my goodness, guess what? You won a million dollars. See ya. <laughs> You'd be chasing them down with everything you've got, right? Where's my money, you know? Because you want that money. You're going to chase after them. Why would we tell somebody this amazing news but not tell them their response, how they respond to it? They may believe it. They may believe that they've gotten a million bucks. They may believe the good news about Jesus, but how do they get the power and the fullness of the good news? So why would we leave people hearing the good news and believing it? Since like James says, even the demons believe in Jesus and shudder and not tell them how to die to their sin and be raised to new life in Jesus and enter his kingdom. You know, the hearers on the day of Pentecost 
The, day is, the hearers on the day of Pentecost heard and responded, and the Samaritans heard and responded, and even Simon the sorcerer heard and responded to the gospel. And so I want to say this, our presentation of the gospel must include the call to being baptized into Christ for the forgiveness of sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit, just as it was the very first time the gospel was preached on the day of Pentecost. And as we see in Acts, every time that the gospel is shared, it evidently includes that. So let's not assume who wants to hear. Let's not assume who wants to hear and who doesn't want to hear. Samaritans wanted to hear, and even a magician with great power wanted to hear the gospel. So let's take the gospel to people who are different, who may not seem safe, who we may not like, or simply we don't have as much in common with. Let's take it to them. Now, I know for most of us, I'm thirsty, y'all. I know lots of us, you know, we would love to, to keep on going and keep on reaching people, but we're afraid a lot of times. And when Jesus says, go into all the world, we've got to be willing to allow our comfort zones to be crushed, and we've got to go where it's fearful. And it says in verse 26, now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, rise and go forward to the, excuse me, toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. Here's a third comfort zone that God will bust wide open. Uncomfortable places. He'll take you to people you don't like, your enemies. He'll take you to unsafe places. He'll take you to uncomfortable places. He says, you're in this city. Things are going great. Man, it's a revival. People are being baptized left and right. People are being healed, getting up and walking. They haven't walked. And now he says, go to the desert. What? You're kidding me, right? Go to the desert. Go to this uncomfortable place. And God will call you and I into less comfortable places if it accomplishes his mission. Verse 27, it says, And he rose and went, and there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah, and the spirit said to Philip, Go over and join this chariot. Comfort zone number four. He will call you to cross racial lines, cultural lines, sexual differences, social status. He will call you into all those things. And I know not all those things are the same or equal, but there are some of us who are bothered by some of those. And we need to understand he will call us to cross those lines because people need to hear the gospel. And I, I know this, that, you know, if you're part of movement, I, I really don't believe that the racial line is hard for you because we are a church that we believe we want to look like our community, and we do. We want to look like what heaven's going to look like, and so we are a church for all people. Amen? Amen? I believe that if you're part of movement, that's not an issue for you, but maybe some of those other issues are. Maybe people that are involved in sexual things, maybe that scares you and you don't want to cross those lines, or maybe it's just a, a different culture that you aren't sure about and you don't want to cross, or maybe it's somebody with a different socioeconomic background. This guy fit all those categories. He was a guy from Africa. He was a man who was very wealthy because he was in charge of all the queen of Ethiopia's treasure. He, you know, and it said that he was a eunuch, and not to go into too much detail, because we got some younger ears in here, but that's going to involve some sexual things. I don't know how that exactly manifested, but it's a serious operation. I'm trying to be as delicate as I can. But all these things are, are crossed, and he says, go and go to this guy, and he's a stranger. I'm getting ahead of myself, but he's a stranger. And so what we need to understand is this. 
We need to be willing to go to people who are different than us because they need Jesus too. Amen? Mm, comfort with them five. <laughs> he goes to and talks to a stranger uninvited. Y'all, we freak out when somebody rings our doorbell now. Y'all done that? Doorbell rings, jump behind the couch. Turn the lights off! Who is it? I'm telling you, man, we have a lot more no soliciting signs in the neighborhood than we have welcome signs. I'll say that. You know, we don't want to talk to anybody, much less a stranger uninvited. Look at verse 30. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you're reading? And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this, like a sheep he was led to the slaughter. And like a lamb before the shearer is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe this generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. So what do we learn from Philip here? Number one, he listened. He listened to what the guy's issue was. He didn't just talk. Sometimes if we do get the boldness to share our faith, you know, they're like, hey, you know, um, you know, I just lost a loved one. Okay, that's great. You know Jesus is Lord and Savior? You know, we got to listen to where they are so we know where to start, right? And so he listened to what he was reading and started talking about Jesus based on where his mindset was. And then the second thing is this. He found common ground and started a discussion with him. And so that requires what? Listening. And he found a place to start. Look at verse 34. Y'all got to pick this pace up. Y'all got to listen quicker. Come on. And the eunuch said to Philip, about whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this, about himself or about someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. The third thing we learn from Philip is this. He took his opportunity when it arose. And I'd say that because of this. Many times, I've been so guilty of this, I have an opportunity to share the gospel, but I'm afraid, and so I'm like, I'll just lay a little groundwork and I'll come back later on. We may not get a later on. He took the opportunity when it was ready. And so remind yourself of those four parts to the gospel. Is it good news to me? Am I sharing the good news? Am I sharing about the kingdom of God? Am I sharing about Jesus, his death, burial, and resurrection? And am I sharing about our response, our death, burial, and resurrection? That's all you really need to know. That's all you really need to do. You start where they are, and you get them to where they need to be. You take the opportunity as it comes to you. And you may be thinking, well, hold up, hold up here. How do you know that he shared about baptism? How do I know that he shared about the response? It says he preached the good news. That's in there. He preached the good news to Jesus, uh, about Jesus from that very passage. But it doesn't mention where he said baptism. But look at verse 36 with me. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? Who asked the question? The eunuch. So that means automatically that who had already told him about what? baptism and it was Philip he had told him in verse 38 it says and he commanded the chariot to stop and they both went down into the water Philip and the eunuch and he baptized him the eunuch said look here's water when they pass some and I want you to understand this is so 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 very important think about the million dollar thing 
The preaching of the gospel must include baptism. We've got to tell people how to respond. We have to let people know their response. And if the hearer understood it enough to ask for it himself, it must be a major part. And the beautiful thing is here, it was immediate, right? He didn't say, well, we're in the middle of a desert. This isn't really ideal situations. When we get back to town, we'll make it happen then, right? Make it happen, Captain. No. He found water in a desert, in a wilderness place, and said, look, stop. Stop right here and let's get it done because it's so vitally important. It was immediate. Now, now, a side note, this is just important. There are people out there, love them to death, but they will argue about the importance and the understanding and the meaning of baptism. And one of the first things many times that they will throw out is they'll say, well, what about the man in the desert? What about the man in the desert? Have you ever seen the pictures, especially when the uh, Iraq, uh, forgive me for lack of term, Desert Storm, Iraq War, all that, where they would literally take bulldozers and front-end loaders and dig out holes or even fill the bucket of a, a front-end loader and line it with plastic and fill it with water and they baptize soldiers, guess where, in the desert. If you want to obey the gospel, you can do it. If you want to, bad enough. If you want to be free and you want to be clean, you can make it happen, and it can happen. So what about the man in the desert? It's right there. He's the man in the desert, and he said, stop. I need to be baptized. It's so important, and so we want to keep on going here. You know, it's important how you're baptized. It's so important. The word baptizo in the Greek means immerse or dip or plunge. But surely, you know, a guy, a wealthy guy like the eunuch, he would have had some water. He would have had a flask or skin of water. If it was enough to just sprinkle a little bit on you, he'd have had water right there. There's no need to get dirty. He's a wealthy person. I'm not getting down that dirty natural water. But no, he needed to be buried with Christ in baptism, death, burial, and resurrection. But back to our original question. What's keeping you from going into all the world? You know, we've given lots of ways to move forward in the face of fear. And we've even given reasons to know where we need to go and how to go. And if we don't know, we need to get going and share. But I think we can sum it all up by this. I think lack of evangelism doesn't usually come from lack of desire. If you're a Christian, I bet most of us, we want to tell people about Jesus, right? Is that, is that fair? But actually doing it is, is hard. I believe lack of evangelism usually comes from lack of this. Proximity, preparedness, and perspective. I think that's really what it boils down to. You know, you want to, but you're afraid to. And I believe it comes from lack of proximity, preparedness, and perspective. You know, when you are close to somebody, take the opportunity. You need to get close to people who need to know Jesus, right? What I mean is this. You need to find ways, whether it be at work or whether it be, uh, you know, at the park. You need to find ways to build relationships with people who need to know Jesus. You need to get close to them and have opportunities and talk to them. You need to be prepared. You and I need to understand our Bibles and study them as much as we can so that we can share this gospel, the good news, the death, burial, and resurrection. It doesn't take a lot of knowledge, but you need to be prepared. So when the opportunity arises, you're there, just like Philip in the desert road, on the desert road, shares the gospel. And then you need that perspective. You need that perspective of eternity. You need to be eternally minded. You and I need to understand that every single person in this world needs Jesus. All people need Jesus. 
What does all mean? All. All people need Jesus. And so if we have that perspective of that eternity hangs in the balance, we can really truly go into all the world with a little more courage, with a little more boldness. And I'll throw in one more P there that might be keeping you from spreading the gospel, and maybe it's prejudice. It might not be racial prejudice, but it might be, and you need to repent of that if it is. But it might be prejudice against people who are just different than you, who don't think the same way you think. But, you know, you fill in the blank. But you and I need to repent and seek God to heal us of our prejudice because everybody, all need Jesus. So what's keeping you from going into all the world? Is it good news to you? Are you willing to share about the kingdom? Are you willing to share people about the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus? And are you willing to share with them their response? Let's go into all the world. If you would, let's stand. We're going to sing. And I'd encourage you to think about what's keeping you from leaving where you are and going where you need to go, even if it's just beside you at work. What's keeping you? What's holding you back? And I didn't challenge you, and I'd encourage you today to not leave here without letting that go. We'd love to pray with you. We'd love to talk with you. We'd love to help you obey the gospel if you need to be die and buried and resurrected with Jesus in baptism. We'd love to make that happen today. But what are you waiting for? Let's go. Thank you for listening to Movement Christian Church's sermon podcast. Want to learn more about us? You can do that by visiting our website at movementchristianchurch.com or on our app available on iOS and Android devices under Movement NC.